It's Two Brain Radio. Every week, we'll deliver top-shelf tactics to help you improve your fitness business and move you closer to wealth. And now, here's your host, the most interesting man in fitness, Chris Cooper. One of my favorite finds of 2016 so far has been foreverfierce.com. I linked up with Matt several months ago at Forever Fierce, and he had some fantastic ideas. And so he and I have put together a couple of packages that we think are really going to help CrossFit affiliates everywhere. Two Brain Mentoring clients use Matt almost exclusively. He's got fantastic designs, and he takes all the work out of it. All that time that you spend searching the internet and Pinterest and junk like that for great CrossFit t-shirts, you don't have to do that anymore. Matt has designs for you. You can put your logo on one of his templates, which are fantastic, and your clients will never know the difference. It saves you so much time that you could be using on other things like real marketing. He'll also go so far as to remind you when it's time to reorder. He'll give you suggested order sizes. He'll help you set up pre-orders so you're not even fronting the cash for the inventory. It's all amazing stuff built to help affiliates, and that's why I love this guy and this company, foreverfears.com. They do all the Catalyst shirts, all the Two Brain shirts, all the Ignite Gym shirts. They do everything for every business that I own. I met Josh Trahan about three years ago. He was running a CrossFit gym out of a Gold's gym in Bro Bridge. When we first started, his goal was just to get CrossFit going in this global gym. And I've actually heard this a few times since. But very quickly, he outgrew the tiny space that he had, opened up his own gym, and now he owns CrossFit Bro Bridge and CrossFit St. Landry. Both are really huge, popular gyms. Josh is a fantastic coach. He's made it to regionals in the last few years. But you can know all this about Josh without knowing his real story. I'm going to let him tell it. My name is Chris Cooper, and every week on this podcast, I try to ask big questions and tell better stories that will help you grow. Josh's story is remarkable, but unfortunately, it's not unique. After a long time in the darkness, he has found CrossFit, and then he found it, a CrossFit gym, and now he's founding Sobriety Wad. It's an amazing program based on the principles of CrossFit and AA. Josh is the perfect person to deliver this thing. The man is incredibly bright, incredibly insightful. You're going to love it. Josh Trahan, welcome to Two Brain Radio. Hey, Chris, man. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure, Josh. I'm really excited for this, but I want people to hear your full story first. So can we start there? Yeah, sounds good. I'll uh, I'll try and... Uh... Start back around, I guess. Well, I can run through everything. So, you know, growing up, I uh, I played football from about four years old uh, all the way through the end of high school. My, my story is probably a little different than most people's. I don't really know why, but from about second grade on, uh, I was I was pretty much a troublemaker. And it's funny because I wasn't. Um, I wasn't a bad kid. I didn't, I didn't fight. I didn't, uh, I wasn't mean to people, stuff like that. I was just mischievous and, uh, and I was pretty bored. And so I acted out a lot. One thing that's kind of crazy, by the time I graduated high school, I had been to about 18 different schools, get kicked out of almost every school in my hometown. And I found out later kind of what all that was, was stemming from. Uh, as I graduated high school, almost getting kicked out of high school, I had been, uh, prior to that, I had been even arrested a couple times as a kid and had ended up in a boy's home when I was about 14. 
finally kind of just made it out of, of high school by the skin of my teeth and going into the real world and I thought I was ready for it. But one of the things I realized is I had played sports. I had been involved in athletics my entire life. And probably the one positive thing that was maintained throughout my, my childhood was being involved in some type of team and community effort where, you know, physical exercise and, and just expending yourself was, was part of the, the business. And so when I got out of high school, I really wasn't sure where I was going to go or what I was going to do. So I ended up, right after 9-11, I ended up joining the Marine Corps. Went into the Marine Corps, went into the reserves, and uh, up until that point, my only kind of experience with physical training had been sort of the traditional like bodybuilding method, um, football-type workouts. And only thing I knew when I got out of high school was the gym, you know, as far as like a Globo gym-type setup. So you go in and you do chest one day, and you do legs one day, and you do back one day. and that's what I was trying to stick to. When I went to the Marine Corps, I was in Iraq in 04 to 05. And, you know, with combat, really about 99% of your day is spent just sitting around. So I started to work out. We made equipment where we didn't have it. And one of the things that I, that I do whenever I get into something is I usually get other people into it. So... I had about four or five guys who I was working out with and we were studying like men's health magazines and su supplements and stuff like that and got pretty big. But one of the things I noticed as I was, uh, was training that way was that it wasn't really helping me with my job and with the things that I needed to do for the Marine Corps. Towards the end of the stay there, we had had a few uh, combat operations and realizing that I hadn't really developed any serious capacity from the, the style of, of working out that I was doing. And towards the end, I took the guys and I was like, I think we need to start doing a little bit of cardio. So we all went and ran a couple wind sprints and, and I think two of us ended up pulling some hamstrings. And it kind of, I remember it hitting me even then. It was like, what's the point of doing this if it doesn't make me better at anything? Um, aesthetics alone, looks alone were never really enough for me to stick to something. So I got home from Iraq and uh, I was married. I had gotten married right before I went overseas. And I got home and, and looking back, I, now I know kind of what it was, but I didn't realize at the time that I was struggling with some PTSD issues and some readaptation issues. You know, one of the things about being in combat, like as stressful as it sounds, it's like once you get through it's almost like once you accept the fact that you're probably going to die, like you move into a different place, like emotionally and um, spiritually even, and where you've kind of accepted that, and or I did anyway. And when I returned home, it was almost like, crap, like I wasn't ready for this. I didn't think this was going to happen. And so the the necessities of daily life and responsibility and relationships and jobs and and buying the right insurance plan and buying a car and all that stuff just overwhelmed me. And I realized pretty quickly that, you know, I, I would rather, I'd rather be back over there because all you had to worry about was yourself and your guys and everything else was taken care of. So 
a lot of the daily stressors just kind of started weighing on me. I couldn't make decisions and uh, got really bogged down in life. I didn't know what I wanted to do or where I wanted to go. And I ended up picking up alcohol. You know, I found like alcohol would help me just not think about all that stuff for a while. It would help me relax. It would help me be social again. It would help me stop worrying or being anxious. And I thought I had found a solution. So through the years, you know, the drinking um, started to started to experience some consequences. You know, at first it was all fun and friendly and it wasn't a big deal, but then I started blacking out. It started, I started drinking at work, um, trying to just get through the day, started drinking more, started drinking every day. I got my first DUI, started having relationship problems. And it was, it was pretty much going downhill. But the crazy thing about addiction and alcohol is like, you, you can't see that stuff. You can't see what it's doing to you, what it's doing to people. And you go through this period or I went through this period where it's everybody else's fault. You know, if people didn't have a problem with it, then it wouldn't be a problem because I was, I wasn't a mean alcoholic. I, I went to work, you know, I, I still took care of my responsibilities as far as I was concerned, but I was, I was completely emotionally unavailable. Ended up having a, a child with my first wife right before a divorce with my first wife. And um, that's when, you know, I, I guess I kind of woke up a little bit and said, okay, up until this point, all the drinking that I've been doing, I've been doing because I wanted to. And so now I want to stop. So now I'm just going to go ahead and stop. And before the end of the before the end of that day, literally, I was wasted again, and uh, and that's when it kind of hit me that I was this overwhelming sense of like being screwed, basically that uh, there was no way out of this thing because I can't even do it for a day. Now I wish that that was like the turning point, but that was just the start of the turning point. And so over the the next two to three years, it just got worse and worse because now now I'm trying not to do it but I can't stop doing it. And so there's this whole new battle, this new struggle of um, it's not just that everybody else wants me to stop. It's that I want to stop too. And I can't. And so uh, there's a, there's a darkness in that situation. That's probably unlike um, it's, it's at a level that most people will probably never experience. I got, I found out about AA. Someone told me about AA, which you know, I, I felt like I was the worst alcoholic that had ever existed. Like I drank with a couple guys who I considered to be alcoholics and I drank two and three times more than them. So, um, I, I thought for sure there was no coming back for me. And somebody told me about AA and I hadn't even really heard of it. I, I honestly didn't even know. I mean, maybe in passing I had heard about it before, but never even really thought about it being a, a solution for me and and there's a book that you get with it it's kind of like their basic text and you know one of the parts i kind of skipped over when i was a kid i had gone through sort of like a a pretty drastic like spiritual experience when i was about 16 or 17 and got heavily involved in the church and uh even was like preaching a little bit and and just my typical thing is whenever I get into something i get all the way into it and and that's what happened and i got to a point with that where it didn't make sense to me anymore. Like religion didn't make sense to me. And, and the, the dogma didn't make sense to me, like intellectually. And what, uh, what I 
did in response to that was kind of just threw everything out the window. So I threw away the the dogma, but with it, I threw away the concept of like spiritual and moral principles. You know, it's like, if, well, if, if this isn't true, then none of it's true. And I think all that, you know, led to the situation that I found myself in. When I got a hold of what they call the big book, NAA, uh, started reading it. It was like immediately I, I was, I don't know, I was kind of overwhelmed because I realized that all the book is talking about was spiritual principles and God and all the stuff that I had thrown away. And so there was two feelings that hit me at the same time. You know, one of them was like, uh, of course, like, of course, that would be the answer. It was like the one thing that I had completely walked away from. So it was kind of a relief to know that, you know, there was a solution. But then this other part of me was like, you already did that and you already screwed that up. So that's not going to work for you. You know, that's why I think it still took another two or three years before I got to a point where I was willing to get some help. So over the next two, over the next two or three years, I got a couple more DUIs. It was craziness. It was like, a, it was literally like a tornado. I didn't have job. Like I was picking up jobs here and there, working for cash. I was living off a GI bill and just falling apart. Um, I eventually ended up foreclosing on a house that I lived in and uh, moving in next door to my dad, closer to Lafayette. And he was pretty much paying my bills and I was trying to get it together. I re-enrolled in school, but I couldn't even make it to class. I mean, it was just a, it was a nightmare. Um, daily struggle. Had to drink to get up, had to drink to go to sleep, uh, had to drink to get anything done. Um, I was blacking out. I uh, I was doing just stuff that, that was so against my my beliefs and who I who I knew myself to be. And you know, towards the end in the, in the last year, I put on about eighty pounds. And and where that comes into the story, you know, in in this last year, I um, I had enrolled in school, and one of the days I made it, I actually ran into a buddy from high school who. Uh, had joined the Marine Corps too, and he had just come back. He was about three years behind me, younger than me. So we're at school. I'm like 28 years old, 280 pounds. Like I don't even belong there. It's a bunch of kids, and you know, it, being there almost like just made me feel even worse. And uh, anyway, he came up to me, started telling me about about this workout program that they started when he was in Iraq, and he's telling me how uh, it's like awesome and. You know, it's really hardcore and you like you do you throw these balls against the wall until you throw up and, and something inside me kind of responded to that. You know, it, it interested me. I had bought like some Navy SEAL training DVDs a, a few years before that. And, you know, that that idea of the extreme thought or the, the idea of like the ultimate training has always kind of appealed to me. So he tells me about this CrossFit thing and and I started to do a little bit of research I went home and started looking up, started reading some journal articles, started reading Glassman, um, finding out what this stuff was about and what people were capable of. And then I, you know, I kind of started thinking, man, if I'm going to do something, this is the kind of thing I'm going to do. I'm not just going to go to the gym. In fact, I had tried that about a month before I go to the gym for two weeks and then just could not keep the motivation. You know, I even drink to go to the gym. And that wasn't working. So I hear about this CrossFit thing and there's some actual, like, there's some depth to it. There's some weight to it. There's some, like, some 
ideas and some purpose and some reasons for doing this stuff. And so that kind of intrigued me. Uh, being, you know, ex-Marine, ex-football player, all that kind of stuff, you know, I had this uh, kind of false idea or this false sense of my ability. So I'm looking at the stuff that people are doing. I'm like, man, I can do this. And uh, I found the article where you where they taught you how to make your own gymnastics rings out of PVC pipe with uh, sand and you put it in the oven and bend them and put ropes through it and stuff. And so I, I got all excited and made some rings and I went to a local baseball field and hung them from a, a batting cage and jumped off the back of my truck to start learning how to do ring dips and fell flat on my face, man. <laughs> it was like, it was like another one of those kind of realization deals where it's like, man, I'm not, I'm not what I think I am, you know? And I remember getting home that day and looking in the mirror and just my face was swollen and I didn't even look like, you know, the me that I know and the me that I remember. And, and I kind of just hit the end, you know, for me, I think that last year and the, the complete loss of physical capacity, I had become like severely hypochondriac. I'd be at the doctor all the time. I, I was going to detox like every two weeks. I'd check into the hospital because I thought I had alcohol poisoning. And my liver readings were off the chart. My blood pressure was high. And like, you know, I'm 28 years old and, you know, I, I really couldn't stop. And so I didn't know what to do. And even from that point, it got worse before it got better. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to hold it together, but I know I'm at my end and, and I know that there, that there's nothing that I can do about it. And, uh, the, the very last, I guess the very end of it, you know, I was working in, I was living in Lafayette, working in Baton Rouge, which was about an hour and a half drive. And I had driven to Baton Rouge and I was working on a buddy's floor and while I was there, I had drank probably about 20 something beers knowing that I had to drive home. And I don't know. Something was different that day. Like when I woke up that day, like I knew this was the last day. And honestly, I thought that meant that I was going to die that day. Like that's the feeling that I had. Like I'm not stopping until it's over. And so, you know, I drove hour, hour and a half in the truck. I get to Baton Rouge and I'm, I'm working on this guy's house and, there was a, a pill bottle on the counter that was a Percocets. And I had never really done anything with opiates or anything like that. And, but I knew that, you know, people liked them. And so at that point, like I was so tired that I really didn't even care about any kind of consequences. And I started eating them like, like mints. And, uh, I'm working on the guy's house. I'm still drinking. I eat Percocet, pass out, wake up, drink some more, take another Percocet, pass out. At about one o'clock in the morning, I left his house to head back to Lafayette. And uh, about 30 minutes into the drive, I realized that I had been going in the exact opposite direction. Um, that's how, how wasted I was at that point. So I pulled over and got some more beer before two so I could make it home. And, um, and turned around. So I started the, the journey back home and I'm still drinking. I'm still, I'm still eating Percocets. And at some point I kind of nodded off and I looked up and I was about to run into an 18 wheeler, swerved, uh, hit the guardrail, ended up spun out in the middle of the interstate and, uh, and the truck died. I, apparently I had gotten out and I was walking down the middle of the interstate at like two in the morning. And that's when I got 
picked up by the police and ended up in jail. And uh, the next day, my my second wife was going into labor with my second child. And uh, because it was my third DUI, I got booked on a felony. And so my bail was like $300,000 and there was no getting out. And when you're in there, it's like all you can think about is getting out. But this time I ended up stuck there for about 30 days while they figured out my paperwork. And so I had some time to think. And after about two weeks of, uh, of having no freedom, you know, I really started to think about stuff. I kind of got sober. My mind cleared up a little bit and, uh, and I knew it was time for a change. So I agreed to go get some help when I got out. Finally, finally got out of jail and I moved to Georgia. I got there and, uh, Stopped drinking. Um, actually, I mean, I actually drank all the way there. I actually missed the, missed the flight drinking and then made the next flight and got drunk at the airport. And the, the paramedics had to wake me up to make my final flight. And, and, and literally uh, the last drink that I've ever had was in the airport at a uh, second airport. And I had bought it at the little airport bar. And it was a cup. It was a cup of beer. And I was walking into the bathroom to, to down it. Um, I don't, I didn't sip anything. Everything was, uh, was full bore. So I was going into the bathroom to slam it and a guy opened the stall door and knocked it out of my hands. So literally like the last drink that I was intending to drink ended up all over the bathroom floor in that, in that airport. So, uh, jumped on the flight, made it there. And, uh, and I just decided I was going to do the best I could. You know, I, I needed the support and I needed the help, but I was willing to do my part. And, so it started, man. I, I had been, you know, I'd studied CrossFit, I'd studied nutrition, and, and most of these treatment centers, you know, they're trying to feed the most people for the least amount of money. And so the, the food that's supplied is not necessarily the most, the most healthy food in the world. And uh, I'm, I'm a pretty crafty guy. And within about three weeks, I had figured out how to sneak off to the library and apply for food stamps and, uh, kind of find a way for me to get some better quality nutrition. <laughs> so nice. they were, they were giving us pop tarts and, and bologna sandwiches and I was sneaking like kale and apples and stuff. And what I started to notice, you know, it, and it took a while, but what I started to notice is as I started to eat a little better, I started to sleep a little better. I didn't have chemicals in my system. So I was, my body was like coming back together. And I, I attribute the speed of my recovery uh, 100% to nutrition. Um, you know, not 100%, you know, AA, but fit the physical recovery um, to the, the nutrition that I was pounding into my body so that it could fix itself, you know. And I started to exercise and I was reading the CrossFit literature, you know, and this is back in, this is 2011, early 2011. And, but I still didn't believe in it. I was like, nah, man, I mean, I look at these workouts and literally the whole workout is like three lines. And I was like, I'm doing, you know, five sets of 10 chest and, and six sets of 12 overhead press or whatever. So there's no way that that little work written right there can be as good as all this effort and work that I'm putting in. Just like I had kind of done in Iraq, I, I gathered three or four guys around me and started kind of training them. And I was seeing some benefits, man. And, and part of recovery, you know, I, I call it the gap. So there's this, there's this time between uh, giving up, 
your crutch and your life actually getting better. You know, if you, cause they promise you, if you start living this way, things will change, things will get better. Um, but that doesn't happen immediately. You know, if, if you're the, if you're the town liar and you stop lying one day, it's not like the next day everybody's just going to believe you because you decided to stop lying. Like you're going to have to stop lying for a while before people start trusting you. And we lose a lot of people right there. We lose a lot of people in that gap because uh, it's such a long period of time or it feels like such a long period of time where I can't use the substance that makes me feel better, but I'm just supposed to trust what you're saying and keep doing life this way. And a big part of the sobriety wild program involves shortening that dip. So if you're physically unhealthy, that dip's going to take longer. Uh, what I realized is by feeding my body correctly and by starting to exercise and do what I could, it, it shortened that gap. My life started getting better within weeks. And in October of 2011, I was, what I would do is I would sneak off to the library on my way to work. You know, I'm, I'm 30, 30 years old. Um, I had kind of had another mirror experience at a meeting where uh, I realized that I wasn't, I wasn't an alcoholic. Like, I mean, I am an alcoholic, but I had to quit calling myself that because that almost was like a, a sterile kind of clinical diagnosis. And, and I looked in the mirror and I was just like, you know, dude, you're you're a big fat drunk living in a house with with eight other guys just like you. And I was working at McDonald's, working full time at McDonald's. And uh, normally it would have been like a, a breaking point where you know I would have went and got drunk over something like that. But this time it was different, and it it was just this honest appraisal of myself. It was it, that was the same thing for me spiritually that falling off the rings was for me physically. You know, it was this this realization of, of where I actually am in life and the understanding that nothing's going to change unless I change. Um, the understanding that people are not going to judge me by my potential and that I'm not going to get to where I think I should be just by thinking I should be there, that I'm actually going to have to do something. And so I would sneak off to the library and I would, I would download uh, CrossFit workouts and articles and print them out. We weren't supposed to be on, on the Internet, but... Um, I would do it anyway, and I'd sneak back to the to the uh, the home uh, to the house and study this stuff. So in October of 2011, you know, I had read everything, and I had read about how this high intensity anaerobic training can also prepare you for long distance aerobic training. You know, I had read how um, by shooting your heartbeat up in the 200s for a short duration will also give you the ability to go at 180, 185 for extended duration. Like I was starting to understand the science behind it and what this guy was actually saying that I could put on muscle mass and still be able to run distance or do endurance activities and, and maintain my strength because I had seen guys that did all this endurance and aerobic type training. And I didn't want to be like that. You know, I didn't want to look like that. And I started to understand what, what he was talking about and what this stuff was. So put it into practice in October of 2011, I took the four guys that I had been doing sets of 10 with and, uh, and I said, Hey, we're just going to do, we're just going to do this CrossFit thing for a month and we're going to see what happens. So at this point I had been sober about four months. I had been working out as hard as I could for about three months. I was finally able to do a pull up, 
Um, I was starting to see some progress. I had probably dropped 35, 40 pounds already, which was another one of those things that helped keep me on track. While I was waiting for my life to change, I was actually seeing my body change, you know, and it just gave me that little, that little bit. You just need that little bit of, uh, of reinforcement that we're doing well, that we're doing the right thing. And so I took these guys and I was like, let's just do CrossFit and looked at the first workout and I was like, man, that's a joke. So I did it. It took me like eight minutes. I don't remember what it was. Um, and the next day I could not barely move and <laughs> I didn't understand it. I was like, there is no way, there's no way that I've been working out this hard and doing all this stuff. And I mean, I'm riding a bike. I'm like sprinting four miles to work on the bike. Like I'm, I'm trying to like be in shape and I do one CrossFit workout and I'm, I'm floored, like absolutely just crushed. And, you know, again, my response to that was like, oh man, this is exactly what we need. So started doing CrossFit with what I could, man. I mean, it's kind of a, it's a romantic kind of looking back for me because we didn't have any equipment. So I had a bucket that I had filled with uh, dirt and, and rocks and that was kind of my kettlebell. And uh, I had a basketball that I had cut open and filled with, with sand and then duct taped together. And that was my, that was my wall ball. And I had some parachute cord that I had uh, tied a bunch of knots in and that was my jump rope. And, you know, it was, I was, I was reading a lot about how to scale and how to modify because I had to try to keep the, the stimulus of the, of the workout without having the equipment necessary. So, um, at the time there was that, uh, I think it was like brand X or something like yep. that. Brand X. Yep. Yeah. I would just click over to that and then every day they, they would scale and modify the main site wad. And that's where I learned a lot about, you know, what, what carried me over and eventually starting a gym. I didn't scale just based on something I heard. Like I, I actually understood why you're doing this instead and how, how this helps you get it up to the RX movement. But anyway, uh, did, did what I could of CrossFit through October and, and, you know, no running. I don't think, I mean, maybe one day there was some running, um, and nothing for a long time, you know, everything was 15 minutes, 20 minutes, nothing was this long distance endurance type stuff. And, it's still on there, man. If you go look, and I don't remember the exact date, but at the end of October of 2011, this workout pops up, which still you don't see too often, was run a 10K. And I'm like, are you serious? Like, we I, we haven't run. We haven't done anything long. We have There's no way. I had never run more than three miles in my life. The longest I had run was for the Marine Corps uh, PFT, which was three miles. And that I only did when they made me. I'm not a runner. I dislike running immensely, but I had trusted CrossFit up to that point. I had been trusting, you know, AA and, and my counselors and stuff up to that point. And so I was kind of just in this, like this period of trusting. So it was like, let's just see what happens. And I went and I ran nonstop for about an hour and 20 minutes and felt amazing. Couldn't believe that I finished it. And it kind of, that kind of just cemented like the reality of, this CrossFit thing and training this way and the truth of it. And like, uh, that everything that they talked about, I experienced, which was very similar to my experience in Alcoholics Anonymous and recovery. You know, I trusted them. I trusted them. I trusted them. They told me if I just did this, these other things would happen. And then one day I tried it and it all became real to me. So that's kind of what happened with CrossFit. Well, 
I continued to do CrossFit. I just got better and better. I didn't know what uh, what I was going to do when I got home. Had no clue. I hadn't finished any school. I had no trade. I didn't have anything. And I knew that CrossFit had a huge impact on my sobriety. And so when I got home, literally the only thing I worried about was finding a CrossFit gym. And at that time, there was one that I could find on the internet and eventually found a second in my hometown. And so that literally the day I flew in from Georgia, I jumped on my bike and rode like 15 miles to this CrossFit gym. And it was, it was like noon. And uh, I wasn't familiar with the CrossFit hours, you know, <laughs> kind of the, the couple sessions in the morning and then the big break and the couple sessions in the afternoon. So I sat there in the rain for about three hours and I wasn't leaving until I got a membership. And uh, an old buddy from high school actually drove up and, and kind of reconnected, which was pretty cool. And so I knew one thing I needed to do was to continue to do CrossFit. Like I knew that was fundamental to my recovery for whatever reason. And, I, and one of the things I knew is that it was building my spirit like at the same time or even more so than it was building my body. Like it was giving me the opportunity to to put into practice immediately things that I was learning in, in recovery. And so I knew that that had to be a part of my recovery program. So um, one thing led to another. Uh, ended up really not even trying to, ended up starting a gym in Brobridge. My dad helped me get started, and it was kind of a small city outside of the big city. And, you know, we found a place. We found a gym, that, the Gold's Gym, actually, that I had trained at when I was drunk a year before. Um, the guy let me start in the back of it in a little room he had in the back. And, uh, I was like, I need to do this. I can't ride my bike 15 miles every day. And so this just looked like the thing to do. And so I did it. I just tried to do the best I could with what I knew. You know, I tried to take advice. I tried to try to help people, give people what CrossFit had given me. But the whole time, um, and, and, and helping people get fit is, is amazing. But the whole time in the back of my mind, uh, I knew that somehow my purpose was to connect this thing to recovery, to addiction recovery. And, you know, the 12 step in AA is working with other addicts. Like there's no substitute for it. And as much as I was helping people and still help people outside of addiction, um, the only way for me to maintain what I, the gift that I've been given is to help other people uh, get it as well. And so it was always my heart to get somehow get this thing back into recovery. And I'm pretty kind of deep philosophical guy. So all along the lines uh, of doing CrossFit, I'm constantly thinking about these principles, like just these principles of success, these principles of training, these principles of recovery, these life principles that are all, they're all tied in. They all go together. And after about two years uh, with the gym, I ended up getting introduced to a guy who, also was in recovery, who also was part owner of one of the newer CrossFit gyms and also owned a treatment center, uh, a local treatment center. And he gave me the opportunity to start taking some CrossFit. He, he kind of came at it from the other side, but he saw that there was some kind of connection between recovery and CrossFit as well. And so he gave me the opportunity to start teaching this class every Sunday. And, uh, I had sort of the beginning workings of the idea already deep inside of me just from my experience. But this gave me the opportunity to really start putting it out there and seeing if it was something that was just me or if it was something real that uh, that could affect people's lives. And I've been doing that for about a year and a half and have really taken the time uh, 
uh, thanks to this, uh, this guy giving me the opportunity to really hone this program and really figure out what it is and what it's about and how it can work. And to see people like, man, I, I see them once a week and I see them just dramatically impacted by, um, by the, not really even the workout, just the, the, the philosophy of the thing. One of the things when, when you're in recovery, when you're in AA, one of the things that you really find out about yourself is that we're extremely self-centered. And one of the things that happens when people get involved in recovery or AA is we have a hard time identifying what things are like good for us and what things are self-centered. And it's because of years of kind of destroying that, that understanding. And so we have to actually kind of be taught that taking care of ourselves is a, is a good thing but focusing on ourselves is a bad thing. And then we have to figure out what that even means. So a lot of times people in recovery are actually veered away from any kind of physical fitness program. And, and they kind of do it themselves as well because they, they don't want to go to the gym for themselves. They don't want to go worry about what they look like. You know, they feel like that might be a selfish thing. It might turn them back into being self-centered, which ultimately is what leads us back to addiction. And because of that view, you know, there's a lot of people that aren't getting the help and the nutrition and the, the exercise. You know, addiction is just as, as biological as it is spiritual. You know, the damage that you do to your dopamine uh, receptors and your serotonin levels and your oxytocin, all this stuff, it's all damaged. And it all needs to be repaired. And it all will repair, but that's a physiological process. And so there is a physical element to it. And by giving your body the nutrition that it needs and by challenging it in the way that it needs to be challenged to adapt more quickly, we give ourselves the best chance we can at recovery. And so when I talk to these guys, we talk about how, you know, physical fitness is not about looks. It's not about, uh, you know, you going to the beach in the summer and having the six pack and all that stuff. It's about being useful to people. And, and recovery is all about being useful to people. It's all about being remaining in a useful state for, you know, your higher power and for other people. And so the way that I approach CrossFit and fitness with these guys is, hey, you know, you're already saying that you agree that your self-centeredness was the problem and that you helping and living for other people is the solution. So if you take that logic and you apply it to your body you have the same responsibility in your body you know you can't you can't be of the most service to somebody if you if you're so so big you can't even hardly get off the couch or uh you're always sick and you're always at the doctor or you got diabetes and you can't uh you can't get out of bed you know you you have the same responsibility to be spiritually fit uh, but that spiritual fitness is useless if you're not physically fit as well, or at least they are affected by each other. You know, so it's a pretty simple concept. I mean, some of the you look at some of the fittest people in the world that are just assholes. You know, and it's like, what's the point of all that fitness if you're not doing anybody any good? You know, we've seen we've seen the the inverse of it. And on the same side, it's like if you're you know laid up in a hospital praying for people, it's like you know, from something you could have prevented, it's like, well, you know, maybe you should have not been so self-centered and you'd be out there actually be, actually be helping people. So that's kind of where the, the whole concept of, of sobriety wide starts. And 
man, I'll tell you what, when, when these guys get it, so there's nothing like, there's nothing in the world like seeing a, an addict get fired up or, or a recovering addict get fired up or to see, to see the change in their face and their eyes when they actually like finally hear somebody talking their language, you know. Um, one of the things about recovery is that the medical community is, is pretty much baffled by the concept of addiction recovery because medicine doesn't fix it. And the medical community, you know, essentially now is, is just a, a, a pharmaceutical distribution system. So if medicine doesn't fix it, they really aren't sure where to go with it. And, and when this whole thing came out, that was sort of the, the crazy thing about it was that an alcoholic was able to help another alcoholic in a way that no one else was capable. You know, there was a lot of psychological involvement. There was a lot of psychiatrists trying to trying to work on this stuff and trying to figure out how they could force healing on to addicts. But, but nothing ever worked that another addict helping another addict works. There's a there's just this. I mean, I guess it, it makes sense. You know, um, it's hard to listen to somebody tell you what you need to do if they've never done what they're telling you to do, you know? And so that part of it really just makes perfect sense. But it, it's so much deeper than that because alcoholic thinking is so twisted and it's so uh, convoluted and, and confusing that to, to the non-alcoholic, uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And so when we get in contact with another addict or another alcoholic who understands exactly what we've been through and how crazy we are, there's this peace that can come about and this acceptance and this like open communication that is like, it's just, it can't be done any other way. And two people can say the same thing, but coming from different backgrounds and, and the addict, especially the active addict is only going to hear it from one person. And that's sort of the beauty of this program. When I see these guys light up, when I'm, I mean, it's like their face and their eyes are like thanking me for putting it in a way that they finally understand it. And what happens with these classes, you know, I only see these guys maybe two or three times because I only go once a week and, you know, typical treatment visit is about 30 days. So I don't really get to take them all the way through. I just get to kind of touch on it. But just by explaining to them how they can get physically fit without going back into this uh, mode of self-centeredness, it's like a, it's this most freeing thing. And they they agree with it, and it's thoughts that they've had before that maybe they were not able to communicate. And so, um, seeing these guys light up, what happens is you know I have twenty two people sitting in the class, and we're doing the class, we're doing the talking part, which I try to make like a little bit of a discussion part. And then by the end of the class, all these guys that reluctantly came to this group and kind of plopped down in a seat, like oh here we go, like another another person is going to tell me what I'm supposed to be doing. And by the end of it, man, they're like, I can't leave. They won't stop asking me questions. They want They want more. They want a workout plan. They want to get involved. Like they, they believe it already. They like, they're interested, you know, and I see it everywhere I go. And it's helped me. It's really helped me to realize that it's not just me, that, that people do see the connection and the need and, and that, uh, that these things just marry together so well on so many levels and that I really feel like this is a, this is a revolution in kind of the, the treatment protocol, like the, the treatment procedure. And I think that we have a lot of, a lot of different sides that we're fighting on. You know, I feel like there are people who 
you know, maybe we're in my situation where they're still in active addiction and they want to start getting fit, you know, or they want to start getting in shape. And so they go join a gym or whatever, but the, the, the spiritual's not there, the emotional's not there. And there's no, there's no support for the underlying cause. And so it doesn't work out. Then I see people in recovery or in treatment or in AA that have no physical program. You know, we call the AA, we call that a program. So that's like our spiritual program. And they have no physical program. They have no physical model to live their life by. And and one of the things we learn in recovery is how important for people like us it is to have a program. Like we need steps. We need to just, because we're all over the place. And these guidelines keep us in check and they keep us living a good life. But physically, people don't have that. Everybody's kind of on their own page. And what I've learned, you know, studying this stuff, literally, this is probably like thousands and thousands of hours of analysis and reflection and inward thought and uh, and focus and observation and experience and, and self-analysis and, and just realizing that, man, like these things come together. It, it You know, truth is truth. It doesn't matter where it is. And. I tell people a lot of times, like my, my feelings about like nutrition and paleo and stuff like that. Nobody, it wasn't the the, the testing or the um, experiments or somebody's explanation of how paleo worked. Like literally, when you think about it, huh? E- eating food that got us to where we are. It's like that just kind of it just kind of fits, you know. It's like it, it feels true to me, you know. It feels like. Uh, we should eat plants and animals like that's what's available to us and and that a lot of the environment that we live in now is a synthetic environment and that our, our bodies haven't kept up with it and so if we aren't caring for our bodies the way that they were intended to be used uh, and we are you know sitting all the time and we're eating uh, we're eating products instead of food like and then we wonder what's going wrong like what's wrong with us I think uh, I think nutrition and that kind of synthetic life is a big cause for a lot of people's depression, anxiety, and, and even foray into addiction. And so I, I just see this as like a a huge um, transition in in sort of the, the recovery model. Uh, it has to be done a certain way, and it has to be done understanding that you know I'm not saying that you can do fitness instead of uh, recovery or fitness instead of AA or anything like that. Like it's they, it, fitness comes as a result of the spiritual change, you know. But to be able to bring it together in a way that that these guys understand, in a way that can actually, um, you know, I say that it complements your recovery. It doesn't it doesn't take the place of your recovery. But you can go to the gym and and you can do this program and you can actually feel the same way you feel after you go to a meeting or after you do some, uh, some AA work, you know, because we're not divided, you know, as a human being, you're a whole human being. So part of that's spiritual and part of that's physical, but they're together. They affect each other and they work together. And so, uh, for you to have what I call like a full recovery, you're going to have to have both. And that's really what this program is about. It's about taking these principles and these life lessons and these these things that we've learned that got us sober when nothing else in the world could get us sober and then taking those and applying them in this physical domain and understanding that there is no separation. 
that if I do AA at the gym, it looks like CrossFit, you know, and that's, that's how I feel about it. I, I tell people if, if AA started a workout program, it would be CrossFit. Like that's exactly what it would look like. I mean, the thing we know the CrossFit's work where things, other things haven't, you know, people go to the gym now that never went to the gym before in their lives because of CrossFit. More people are doing a better form of exercise, healthier, treating chronic disease, getting off the medicines than ever before in history. CrossFit has something. Well, coming from the AA side, I already know what it has. It has community, it has accountability, it has coaching, which in AA we call sponsors. It has other people that are in the same fight as you, that are battling the same battles, that are trying to make the right choices. It, it's all the same thing. And so it's not as like, it's not as surprising to me as I think it, it could be to some people because it's like, for me, it's like, of course, that's why it works. You know, that's how this stuff works. So, you know, we, we've gotten into the, the evolutionary side of like the human need for tribes and there's been discussion on all that kind of stuff. But this is just a, another thing along those lines. And, and it's, you know, I'm, I'm 100% faithful to the AA message and I'm 100% faithful to the CrossFit message. And, uh, and I think, when you put them together, it's a, it's a, a thing of power like um, like we haven't really seen before. Josh, how does the program look in practice? Like, let's say that I went to a session. What what's the breakdown? All right, so there's a lot of moving parts to this thing, but really simply, what what I'm trying to do right now is to find people that are interested in having this program in their in their gym. I think that's where we're going to start. Uh, there's a whole other side to taking it into treatment centers and, and building it into an actual profession and all kinds of stuff. But for right now, I'm looking for CrossFit coaches who have a recovery testimony, who have felt the same thing that I'm talking about and are interested in providing it to other people or offering it to other people. So what it would look like is uh, the coach would do a seminar with me, I think, and uh, get the basics down. So that's where we're at right now. And uh, once you get the basics, there's another kind of little transition period, sort of like a, like an on-ramp or like a fundamentals class that would give the coach that wants to be involved a really kind of deep background in the philosophy and the message of this thing and how they tie together just to make sure that they're kind of on the same page with the vision. Then my plan is to have a free class offered weekly at my gym uh, that I host, that anyone, you know, it's going to be kind of open to addicts and recovery. So that's that's the, the group that this is designed for. So say, you know, you just got out of treatment or you're currently in, you know, an AA program or, or you're just sober, you have some experience with AA, but you're not really active anymore. That's the kind of people that I think this is going to speak directly to. So you know, we scheduled the class a uh, Friday afternoon and it's a free class. It's open to anyone and, um, you know, or anyone, I'm not going to keep anybody out, but it's aimed at people in recovery. And so they're going to come in and there's going to be a topic. If you, if anybody's ever been to an AA meeting, this is kind of how it works. So you come in, uh, there'll be a topic of conversation. And so I have like a, for instance, last Sunday, you know, one of the things I'll do is take like a, a quote, like a Glassman quote or a quote from the, the journal article and use it specifically to demonstrate a principle. But, you know, Glassman said, and we kind of talked about this earlier, but that segmented training leads to segmented capacity. 
the meaning of that was, you know, if you only train deadlift on its own and you only run on its own, then the second you get in a situation where you have to run and deadlift, you're screwed because you're good at deadlifting and you're good at running, but that doesn't turn into deadlifting and running. On the other hand, if you deadlift and run all the time, you can still deadlift and you can still run. So it goes one way, but it doesn't go the other way. Um, and so we talked about that a little bit. I kind of, I have to take my time and kind of explain the concept. And then, uh, but then we immediately transition into your life. So if you, you know, you have a spiritual life over here and then you have a work life over here and then you have a family life over here uh, and you're, you're looking at all those as these separate things, then you're only ever going to be good at the spiritual stuff when you're at the spiritual thing and the work stuff when you're at the work thing and the, the family stuff when you're at the family thing. Again, with like the physical training. So what we try to teach these guys is that you can't just be spiritually healthy when you're at an AA meeting. Like you have to take that stuff that you've learned. And one of the quotes from the big book is, we learn to practice these principles in all our affairs. And the point is that a lot of times early in recovery, people don't take the principles they're learning in AA and apply them to their work life and apply them to their relationship life and apply them to their gym life or their fitness life or their nutritional life or their financial life or whatever. So it's like we don't have the vision of how to take this thing and to apply it everywhere else. And a big part of recovery I mean, that's really why you have to stay in it is because you have to continuously learn how to take these principles you're learning over here and how to apply them to the rest of your life. So uh, we talk about, so we'll talk about a topic like that and then we'll have a little bit of discussion. We'll ask people what their thoughts are, what their experiences are, let them talk a little bit. And then, uh, and then we move into a workout. So an example workout for a class like this would just be something where we do you know, maybe some cardio and some lifting. And just to demonstrate the principle of bringing these two segments together and how they lead to a capacity that's well-rounded. Wow. Okay. So how does somebody graduate out of this program or do they, do they stay in the program forever? Yeah. So as far as, uh, all right. So if somebody's really interested in it, you know, from this group, they'd be welcome to, to join the gym. Um, they'd also be able to go through so the way AA works, you know, you might show up at a meeting and you're like, okay, I really need this. What's the next step? Well, in AA, the next step is to, to find somebody who will sponsor you. And so what they'll do is kind of take you to the side and they'll work with you to go through the actual 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. What we've come up with is, is really, really similar, and but it deals with the physical side of it. So, you know, somebody could grab the trainer and say, Hey, I really want more of this. What's the next step? And so we have like a, we put it into like six sessions, but it's, it's kind of the same process as the AA 12 steps. So it includes kind of re the initial recognition of where you're coming in at. You know, there used to be a saying in CrossFit uh, about leaving your ego at the door and, you know, ego can, ego can present itself in two ways. So in some people, their ego keeps them from, go and try it because they're too worried about being embarrassed or what people are going to think about them. That's egotistical. You usually don't think of it that way, but it, but it is the, it's the protection of the ego. And then we have the other side of it. That's guys that want to come in and just beat everybody on their first day and end up getting hurt because they don't listen. So the way that you 
deal with that is by just helping someone to accurately know where they're coming in at and be okay with it. You know, it's not, it's not the most awful thing in the world, but you need to start off understanding where you are. And so that's the beginning of the process. Then we walk through uh, what essentially is like a uh, functional movement screen type class where we look at, Hey, you're missing some flexibility. We write these things down. You're missing some flexibility. Um, you know, you probably need to lose a few pounds. You are having trouble uh, hinging at the hip correctly. We just identify these factors that are going to limit recovery. Well, you really can call them limiting factors. Um, you know, in AA, we actually list our character defects is what we call them. And so we look at ourselves and we're like, yeah, man, I'm not the most honest person in the world. And I've stolen some stuff before and I don't show up at work on time. And we list these things. And by putting them on paper and looking at them, we at least know what we're dealing with. So we kind of do that on the physical side. And then the rest of the steps is really on how do I start to get rid of these things that are keeping me from success? You know, these character defects were keeping me from getting sober. And these physical defects are going to keep me from being as fit as I can possibly be. And so it's just a slow down, like realistic, thorough, step-by-step approach to getting you well, getting you healthy and getting you, returning you to your previous state, you know? So that's kind of the recovery feeling. Okay. So Josh, um, I'm, I'm most excited for this part, man. Can you walk us through the lesson that you taught last week? The one that I talked last week was, uh, that one about the segmented training that I was talking about. Okay. So that's something that I would actually go in there and do a class on. Um, I'll walk in there with a principle in mind, something that usually stood out to me for, you know, from the, uh, the week before or something like that. And we'll discuss that principle a little bit. Um, so after we talk about that, then we kind of go into, we try to go into a workout that has something to do with, with the, the, the lesson. So another example is like, we talked about the importance of knowing your limits, you know? So in CrossFit, so with, with these guys, I talk about it. I talk about the recovery side of first. So, uh, the recovery side of things first. So, something like knowing your limits. Whenever you're first trying to get sober, you know you have to set some boundaries. So, I had to go to an actual facility in Georgia. You know, I had to be kind of cut off from some of the situations and places and people that triggered me to want to, you know, use substances. And so I had to become aware of my limitations and I had to be okay with that. I had to say, you know what, for right now, maybe one day, but for right now, I can't go to that party, you know, or for right now, I can't go to so-and-so's house and, uh, and hang out all night while they drink and play PlayStation. You know, I had to know what I could handle and what I couldn't handle. And by keeping myself within my boundaries, I was able to keep myself safe. You know, I didn't, I didn't go to things. I didn't do things that were beyond what I was able to handle at the time. And then, so we'll talk about that a little bit. And then the guys are all like, yeah, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, I have to do the same thing and kind of get them in agreement and get them excited. And then we start talking about fitness. You know, we talk about CrossFit and I tell them about how, um, you know, there's workouts that I see them and, and I want to do the RX weight or I want to do even heavier or I want to, I want to 
I want to do a set of 25 instead of 20, but I'm not capable yet. And that sometimes the smart move is to just keep perfecting where you're at until the next, uh, until it becomes clear that you're ready for the next thing. Well, in AA, you know, that's what we trust each other for. So if I go to my sponsor and I say, hey, I'm thinking about going to this party, but they're going to have alcohol and blah, blah, blah. That, that person's role is to sit there with me and kind of walk me through it to help me decide if it's something that I should do, could do, um, or should not do, you know, or whatever their suggestion is. And that's one of those things I realized, man, that's exactly what I do as a CrossFit coach. Right. Somebody yeah. comes to me and they're like, man, I want to do 225 today. And I'm like, dude, you still round you back at the bottom. And they're like, so you don't think I can do it? It's like, no, let's just take another week and let's work on technique. Let's let's get something that's going to get you moving a little bit better before we turn you loose. And they're like, oh, man, OK. And they make wow. progress, wow. you know. Um, so that's just an example of, one, of something we might talk about in a class. So Josh, the other element here is that you actually have a way to track progress, right? Yeah, that's kind of the, you know, I really believe that there's like a guiding spiritual principle in the universe, you know, and some people call it God and some people aren't okay with that. But uh, either way, I feel like there's this, this guiding principle. And, and so this thing, we've tried to kind of come out with it a couple times and we try to push it a couple times and we try to like created a couple times instead of actually just letting it become. And, uh, and this, I feel like might be a big reason why. So I've made some contacts throughout the process of this program that have access to some technology and stuff that I would not have access to on my own. And this whole idea of, uh, actually my business partner in this, he's actually talked about this to, to Greg Glassman before, um, just mentioned it. And one of the first things that, he said was send me the data. So, you know, we know CrossFit is a data driven program and this guy's coming from the treatment side and the data driven side. So what we've done is come up with an app, uh, a really simple to use app that's going to track these groups and this progress. So there'll be a coach's version that's, and it's not going to be complicated. Uh, there'll be a little survey. So say somebody shows up at sobriety Wild on Friday night, they're new. They want to know what they need to do to get started they'll fill out this initial app. This app is just going to have, you know, a profile in it. And then it's going to have a lot of questions like, how old are you? Have you been to treatment? Are you currently in AA? Do you have a sponsor? Um, how many meetings a week do you go to? Did you use, you know, all that kind of stuff just to gather information of who's even interested in this thing. You know, the next part of it is that after the weekly classes, they are going to sort of self-track. So at the very end of the class will be them doing their app. And it may, it may only be th like three to five questions, but it's going to be, do you feel better after you do this? You know, uh, how long have you avoided any further using since you've started? You know, it's just kind of an update type of thing. But what this is going to do is distribute all this or send all this information, this data across the country eventually, hopefully, and give us a picture of who is getting the most help out of this and who is really uh, like fired up about it and who is it helping. And the problem that we're trying to solve, and, and this is the, the link between the treatment center and the AA meeting, and I don't know the exact specifics, but something like, like one out of every five people that get out of treatment ever make it home and go to their first AA meeting. 
Wow. There's this huge problem with people kind of, you know, you're in recovery, you're around people, you get to know them in 30 days, you're on a structured schedule, like you adapt, you adapt to it and it's working. But then when you get out and you go home, you immediately want to kind of go back to what you were doing before you left. And it's the implementation of what you learned in the, in the treatment center um, that doesn't happen. People don't go to their first AA meeting. And of those people that do go to one, I think like only one out of three of them make it to their fifth. Wow. So it's this huge problem of taking people from a treatment center into an active re- life of recovery. You know, it's kind of like the same thing as uh, watching how many people you put through on ramp versus how many people are still there in two months. You know, are we keeping people or are they disappearing? And so right now the treatment numbers is as if, you know, everybody you put through on ramp is gone in two months. And that's kind of the situation. So the problem we're trying to solve is how do we get people to start to develop a life of recovery after they leave treatment? And the idea is that, you know, by by this being like a non-threatening sort of neutral situation, it's something that they're already kind of excited about and willing to go test out. We believe that we can get people to at least come try this out. Maybe people who wouldn't have ever made it to an AA meeting. Well, what happens is, you know, if you go to sobriety while out of treatment and you meet 10 people in, in the local recovery scene, now instead of you having to go through that fear of going, walk through that door, not know anybody in that room, you got three guys that are inviting you. You're actually going with somebody, you know, and, and I think that we're going to facilitate the transition into that process like it hasn't been able to be done before. That's incredible. By track, by, and by tracking that data, we'll be able to know if that's what's happening. You know? Wow. And this will also make some of these programs available for funding potentially, right? Oh, definitely. Like the idea for the, the future of it, you know, if a, if a coach is running a sobriety wide group and it's something that they're really into, um, the next step for this thing is getting taking that same kind of group it's done a little bit different in the treatment center, but with the data collection and the ability to, uh, you know, turn over numbers to a treatment center, we'll be able to get access into these centers. And so the big picture for this thing is that all these gyms and all these coaches that want to be a part of this thing, they're going to be part of a network that all the, all the recovery centers, all the treatment centers that we get into you know, when those guys ask, hey, I'm going home to Atlanta, uh, where can I go? Well, boom, we got a gym in Atlanta. We got two gyms in Atlanta that have this program. Go tie in with those guys. Wow. And we can get people to do that and then kind of find their way to AA through that. And I think it's going to be like a not only a powerful transition into maintaining their recovery, but it's also now they have a fitness program, so they'll be getting healthy as well. So let's say that I want to be one of those gyms, Josh. What what's set up for me? What do I do? Okay, so we're planning to have a seminar in uh, in mid mid to late January, and what we're looking for is about eight to ten uh, people that are interested. The, this first run is going to be um, a free seminar for people that you know kind of hear the message. They want to be a part of it. They want to get it started in their gym. Uh, you don't have to be a gym owner. You know, definitely talk to your whoever your gym owner is if you're a coach here in this. But um, if it's something that is on your heart, you know, and it's something that you feel like needs to be done and you would like to be a part of, 
then we're going to invite you to attend this seminar. Uh, the seminar lets me like really go through the depth of the program, like the principles of the program. We call them the pillars, uh, but it's basically foundations and it's where this thing comes from, what it's about, what the heart of it is. And what it's going to do is give you a deeper understanding of it so that you'll be able to communicate it effectively. And, uh, and if any of you guys are involved in recovery, you know that by giving this stuff away, we actually are the ones that benefit from it, you know? So you come, you're hearing all this stuff, you're getting all this training, but it's going to help you in, in your, in your walk as well. Uh, after that, you would go back to your gym. Uh, and we're building the website right now. And so what's going to happen is all the content you need to put on this program is going to be available to you. Um, I have about 65 written lessons already that are kind of along the lines of that one about knowing your limits. There's just, there's literally I have like hundreds of notes. There's more that I just haven't written yet than that I, than that I need to come up with. And it's pretty much a daily thing for me. And so that content is going to get put onto the website and you'll be able to log in there and see whatever that topic of the week is, study it. There'll be a handout that you can download off of the site. There'll be a little video where I'm going to kind of talk about um, how I'm going to teach it or how I taught it. And then you'll be able to kind of plug in your own experiences and your own examples and stuff like that because it's going to be your guys. And so I'm just going to help try to lead this thing and keep everybody on the on the same path and on the same track and, and keep the experience similar but at the same time you know um people are different groups are different and so they're going to have their own feel to them um, i believe the main thing is just keeping this principle and keeping this thing pure you know and the other thing is about the free part of it you know we've been back and forth on this and you know treatment charges for recovery but aa never has and there's a huge debate and there's um there's a lot of stuff about this but you know deep down in my heart like i feel like this thing, for it to work and for it to stay pure, this one night a week meeting has to remain open and available to people. People wouldn't go to AA if they had to pay for it. You know, and, and the fact, you know, alcoholics are so self-centered, addicts are so self-centered. If we feel like you're getting something out of this, we're going to be turned off by it anyway. You know, one of the things about AA is the fact that this guy is here and he's working with me three, four hours a week trying to help me get sober and I'm not paying him anything. Like he's, he's just doing it because he knows it's something that needs to be done and it's something he needs to do at, out of gratitude, you know? And so the way we've kind of come out with it, you know, we'll convert people into members, you know, that's going to happen automatically. And those people that do convert from sobriety wide into members are going to be some of the best members you could ever ask for. Also, this opportunity to get into treatment centers, you know, I get paid to go to the treatment center. That's something that uh, as far as where the, the revenue comes from to keep this thing going and to keep you moving forward and getting deeper into it. It's all there. It's just this one this one part that I feel like has to stay really pure and stay really um, available mm -hmm. if we're going to get people involved. So, Josh, the last thing I want to touch on is something that I think we can all benefit in hearing from you. What is the value of service in, you know, improving your life, getting to joy, getting to perfect day? Man, that's a, I mean, that's a big question. Um, service is really, service is really everything. It's, it's, that's one of those spiritual principles where we realize that, um, you know, part of addiction and coming up, 
as a you know alcoholic minded personality person i i thought that the only person that was ever going to take care of me was me you know and, and if i wanted somebody to love me i had to try to get them to love me and if i wanted something out of somebody i had to manipulate it out and if i wanted to feel certain feelings i had to do things to make those feelings happen and one of the things we learn in recovery is that that's all backwards that when you try and help somebody else get those feelings, you end up getting them. If you if you honestly love someone else, then you feel love. And when you actually do something for somebody else, you feel whole. And it, it's just like crazy. It still doesn't make any logical sense to me at all. Um, it's just one of these things that I know for a fact in my life is the case. And the more I worry about me, the worse my life gets. And the more... I worry about helping other people the better it gets. And, you know, there's there's the spiritual side of it. But for me, there's also like this kind of evolutionary side of it. I mean, if you look at evolution uh, biologically, you know, it's sort of that survival of the fittest thing. So if you mutate and it's a positive adaptation that allows you to survive better, you're going to make it. And the rest of the group that didn't is not going to make it. Well, I believe that that played a part in our uh, morals and our cultural traditions and all that stuff at the same time. And so what ended up happening is through cooperation and civilization, um, the people who worked together, the people who actually came together and put into the group made it. And the people who are always constantly sucking away from the group don't make it. And so... Uh, the way that our brains have evolved and the way that all that stuff works is we get these uh, we get these good feelings when we do those things and we lose them when we start to act selfishly and to suck away from the group. And so however you want to look at it or whatever it works, it doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, it literally is like our purpose in life to participate in the furthering of our species, of our uh of, of, of other people, you know? And so whatever it is and however it works, when we start serving people, when I start serving people, my problems start to go away. My problems start to disappear. And so the, the best way for me to continue to move forward is to continue to do what I feel like is the most helpful. That's incredible, Josh. And I want to leave it there. Thank you, brother.